Amen. Thank you, choir. Good morning. It's good to see you here in the house of the Lord. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving time. If you're like me, maybe you're in need of a little repentance today due to your eating habits from the last week. I think uh, we all may need to turn to the Lord today and say, forgive us for we have sinned. So it starts over again today, right? Day one. So uh, it's good to be here uh, again with you all. I thought we might have a down week, but it looks like most of your families came to you this, uh, this year, so that's great. As we reflect over the last year and the many blessings that we have and gratitude and, and what we think of when we think of things that we're thankful for, I just want to say how grateful I am for Woodmont Baptist Church and what this church has meant to me and my family over the last year and a few more months than that. But um, as Logan prayed earlier, the spirit of optimism and, and, and hope and I'm just excited every time I come into this building. I'm excited about every Sunday when we get to gather. I'm excited about every Wednesday when we get to pray together and meet together. I just, I love being a part of what the Lord's doing here. I I'm, I'm really am excited about 2018 and, and 2019 and, and as we look into the future and this, this Advent season, this next month is going to be a, a special time together as well here. So uh, I'm also reminded of the many people who have lost loved ones, as Rachel prayed earlier, for those who remembered uh, their loved ones this Thanksgiving, maybe the first one without uh, your loved one uh, this year, and, and just to, to remember that we stand on the shoulders of the saints who've gone before us. We're so grateful for the legacy. People who I didn't even get to meet, who, who passed right before I came here, who I'm just so grateful for their life and their legacy that carries on through the ministry of Woodmont Baptist Church. So just wanted to say a word of gratitude before we finish. My heart is, is overwhelmed with thankfulness for Woodmont and for what the Lord's doing here. So today we're going to wrap up our series in Hebrews. I hope you have benefited from this beautiful book as much as I have from my study and preparation this month. It's been a, a really uh, a beneficial time for me looking at the supremacy of Christ overall, that Christ is greater than anything else that you could possibly put in that blank that you might try to, to build your life on. You might try to turn to other things to give you purpose and hope and meaning in your life, but Jesus is greater than all of them. The anonymous author, remember I think it's a lady, I'm not going to refer to the author as he because I think it was a woman named Priscilla, but uh, um, we don't know who the author is of this book, but we know that they're writing to a group of Jewish converts that are now Christians and they're really struggling in their faith. This is a defeated, deflated group that is really in danger of walking away from Jesus. They're in danger of returning to the old ways of religion and law and rules that they formerly grew up in. And the writer of Hebrews, who's probably a a pastor, most scholars think it's a pastor type figure, is reminding them that they have now a savior who is greater than the, the angels, the heavenly beings who gave the law to us in the first place, that he's greater than Moses, the greatest prophet of all time, because Moses was a servant in the house of God, but Jesus is the son who built the house of God. He's greater than the whole law and the whole system of rituals and sacrifices and festivals and rules that had to be observed in order to be right with God, because he is our great high priest who has opened the door now to access to God. And this, this pastor is, is saying to the Hebrews that it's worth it. Now, in light of all these things, it's, it's worth it to, to leave everything behind and to follow after Jesus Christ wholeheartedly because he is greater. He is the greatest way of living possible. 
And he's, or she, whoever it is, is making this argument throughout the book about the supremacy of Christ overall, right? Throughout the first ten and a half chapters. But at the end, like any good preacher, they, they turn to an application time. Now it's the so what section. When I was in youth ministry, I would often, my, my wife and others, you know, Trey in ministry, your, your wife's going to be your, your best and your worst critic, right? So my wife would remind me, you got to have a so what. You can't just teach God's word without applying it, right? So this, this pastor who, who, who wrote Hebrews gives us a, a beautiful so what section in the last couple chapters of Hebrews. That's what we're going to end with today as we wrap up our series. We're going to look at three specific ways of, so then how should we live in light of these first ten and a half chapters? This is the part where you say, what difference does this actually make in my life? How should I change when I walk out of these doors today? What are you asking me to do with my life now? So let's stand out of respect for God's word if you're able this morning. Hebrews 10, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, I'll read it as we dwell in God's word this morning. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Isn't this a beautiful passage? It's, it's actually one long sentence in the original Greek in the book of Hebrews. And it clearly spells out some, some very specific ways that are, are the practical implications of the preceding ten chapters. And I, I love the way that this section begins with the word, therefore. Therefore means in, in light of all the ways that I just described how Jesus is greater than anything else, than all the old attempts at religion. Because Jesus is superior to the rules and the rituals of the old covenant. Since Jesus has died to make us right with God both now and forever, once and for all. Because of all of that, therefore, here is now what you should do. The, the author says in verse 19 that we can have confidence now to, to enter in. Because of all that Jesus has done, we can have confidence to enter boldly into the holy places because of the covering of the blood of Jesus. You know, this would be shocking to readers from a Jewish background, right? Because they know that the, the holiest place, the holy places, is referring to the holy of holies, the inter sanctum of the temple, right? Where only the high priest could enter in. No one else could go into the holy of holies. And 
This was the place that was the sanctuary of the temple that was the inner sanctum. It was the most holy place on the planet. It was where God's glory and his presence dwelt so thickly and so powerfully that when the priest entered in to the Holy of Holies, the other priest would tie a rope around his ankle just in case the awesome holiness of God overwhelmed him and struck him dead in that moment. And even the high priest couldn't just saunter in there anytime he wanted to hang out. He could only go in the Holy of Holies one day a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And even then, he couldn't enter without extensive preparations for himself. He had to offer all kinds of burnt sacrifices to atone for his own sins before he could even go in that one time a year. But we now have confidence to enter into the holiest of holy places. The phrase that says confidence to enter could also be translated as we have freedom of access now. Freedom of access. You know, I've, I've never been backstage at a major concert before. I don't know about you guys. I had friends in high school that got to go backstage at Dave Matthews and meet Dave Matthews, and I was so jealous. I'd never been backstage until Richard here, of course, took me backstage at one of Russell's show. Many of you know that Richard and Carol's son is in the crazy business of country music in this town, and he's doing quite well in it. And he was a part of Two sold-out shows at the Ascend Amphitheater down in South Broadway here. Thousands of people. And there was a long line of people who had paid all kinds of money for, for backstage VIP passes. And they were waiting to go in just one at a time. And, and Richard comes, comes out from backstage, and, and we're kind of hanging out in the back of the line. And he just grabs me, and he says, come with me. And we walk past the entire line of people. Go right by, a hundred people in line. We go right by him. We walk right up to this big security guard, and Richard flashes these, these, he hands me a pass, and he has one, this laminated backstage pass, all access. And the security guard, oh, right this way, sirs, opens the door, we walk right in, and we have free reign back there. We can go anywhere. We can go in the dressing rooms of the stars. We can go to the green room where they hang out before their show. And I got to meet some real live country music stars and shake their hands, it was incredible. Nobody had that kind of access to intimate conversations and shake hands with the stars like we did because of these all-access passes. You know, as Christians, we've been given a freedom of access pass, all-access. This pass allows us the unbelievable privilege of getting some intimate face time with the Holy high God of the universe. And we don't even have to tie a rope around our ankles when we go into his presence. This, this pass doesn't come with a great price. We don't get the pass because we've paid $3,000 for an all-access pass. You know, this, this pass doesn't come to us through a radio contest that we've won. We didn't hit the jackpot and get a pass. This, this pass comes to us the same way that, that Richard got those passes to go see the country music stars. You see, Richard got those passes because he's family of the artist. He has the right to see his family. He and Carol have raised their kids. They've instructed them in the discipline and the love of the Lord, trained them up in the way that they should go. Who are we to deny access to his own family? 
Our access to the Father is now based on our relationship to him as family, as adopted children, fully heirs of the covenant now. Because of the great price that he paid to purchase us and adopt us into his family, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we now have all access family passes. That's good news. That should astound us. This, this access pass that we, we have is also, it's a new thing. The Old Testament, this, this pass didn't exist. Verse 20 says that this is a, a new and living way that we get to now enter in through. It's, it's not just a laminated pass either. It's not a card we get to carry. You know, I, I have friends who are, are Mormons, they have a temple recommend card that gets them into the temple. We don't have a card. We have a Savior. Jesus himself is our access pass, it says here. His, his body torn on the cross, just like the temple was torn in the curtain after he died in the temple. No longer separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of us. You guys remember that story? The Gospels tell us, Matthew, Mark, and Luke say that when Jesus died, that the curtain, the big heavy curtain that sealed off the Holy of Holies from the other uh, temple uh, sanctuary was ripped in, in two from top to bottom. This is saying that Jesus' body was that curtain. It was torn on our behalf so that now we can access into the holiest places. This is why Jesus says himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but what? Through me. He is our access now. We come to the Father only through Jesus Christ. You know, this is a new and living way, I said, and, and new ways can be hard for some people. My wife, uh, she, she has a hard time with change. She really struggles with, with new things and having to do things a new way and, and breaking up our routines and rituals. I, I love new things. I'm a seven on the Enneagram, right, Trey? So I, I love new things. If you guys don't know the Enneagram, you should look it up. Um, my wife's a six. She's the loyalist, so she likes things the way they are. We work good together, but uh, it's hard. So the new things, many of these Jewish Christians probably were wary of all this new talk, these new ways of doing things that the Bible is, is talking about now in the New Testament that the apostles were teaching. Change is hard. A new way, a new living access to God, that's weird. That's scary. You know, I think as Baptists, we have a hard time with change sometimes, especially an older, established church. Have you heard these uh, light bulb jokes about different denominations? How many Pentecostals does it take to change a light bulb? It takes 10, one to change the light bulb, and 10, nine to pray against the spirit of darkness. How many uh, fundamentalists does it take to change a light bulb? The Bible does not say anything about light bulbs. How many Baptists, you know about those guys, right? How many Baptists does it take to change the light bulb? Change? Did you say change? The Bible is full of new things. The Bible has an emphasis, you could say, a preference even for newness. In the Torah, there were special new moon feasts that were to be observed and celebrated together. The grain offerings prescribed in the book of Leviticus were only to consist of new grain. The psalmist he commands us over and over to sing unto the Lord a new song. 
A new covenant is promised in Jeremiah 31. That's what Hebrews is all about, the new covenant. Lamentations 3, we just sang about it. Great is thy faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Ezekiel 11, God says to his, about his people, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Jesus talked about new wine and fresh new wineskins. He gave his disciples a what kind of commandment? A new commandment that they love one another. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, If anyone is in Christ, he is then therefore a new creation. Behold, the old has gone, the new has come. In Ephesians 4, we're told to put off our old self, which belonged to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self. And finally, at the end of the story, in Revelation chapter 21, John the Revelator that we're going to be looking at next month says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. We would do well, I think, to embrace new things. The new things that God is doing are meant to be internalized and accepted. If the Hebrews didn't accept this new and living way, then they would never have the freedom of access to God that we now enjoy freely. And before the author of Hebrews really jumps into the practical so what stuff, they remind us once again in verse 21 that we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ who presides over God's house. You know, we talked the last few weeks about this idea that Jesus is the one who made a perfect sacrifice once and for all on our behalf. He's not like the, the priest of old, the Levitical priest of the Torah. No, Jesus is from an ancient order, the order of Melchizedek. If that sounds crazy to you, go back and watch the sermon from last week, okay, if you missed that. He's the perfect intermediary. Jesus is the, the perfect go-between between us fallen fleshly humans, and God, the high and holy God of the universe. Okay, now the author gets into their three so what applications, okay? They give us these three separate exhortations, and I love how they start each one of these commandments with let us. You know, a good leadership lesson that I've learned over the years is never ask someone to do something that you yourself are not willing to do. This author says let us do this, right? Let, let us do these things. I'm going to do it with you. Let's do these things together. It's more powerful that way, isn't it? I think a helpful way to understand these three applications, too, is to think of them as holding on to something, each one of them. The, the subtitle for our sermon series this whole month has been Clinging to the Supremacy of Christ. So, so now that we have held on to the reality that Jesus is greater than anything else, now what are we to hold on to? Let us, let us hold on to these three things. First, hold on to God himself. Verse 22, let us draw near with a, full, a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near to God himself in intimate worship. 
You know, I love on Wednesday nights, you know, I love being here with you all, but, but maybe the highlight of my Wednesday nights is when my kids come in. Uh, I haven't seen them all day usually, and, and I usually see them before they see me somewhere in that north lobby, the, pian- the this side over here. And, and I see them, and they look around for me when they come in. And when they see me, they all light up, and they run to me. Daddy! And Jude's biggest. He usually beats everybody and gets to me first. And they all give me a hug, and they run right up to me. And no matter if I'm talking to someone or not, they're going to come and wrap their arms around me and say, Daddy! And they just want to hug me. And, and it's so, it's, especially it's fun to have a one-year-old who, who does that as well at this point in our, our lives. You know, I, I wish they were a little more careful sometimes to not knock over someone as they run in towards me, but they know that every time I'm going to bend down, stop whatever conversation I'm in, scoop them up, and give them a hug because I'm their daddy. We can approach God now in this way, in worship. We're commanded here to approach God like an innocent child with a, a pure conscience, a pure heart that's been cleansed from any evil, guilty conscience. You know, when I went backstage with Richard, I was a little uncomfortable, of course, because I'm not family. <laughs> the whole time, I was like, I don't really belong here. I don't, these people don't know who I am. I'm not related to Richard. I'm just kind of like his dad's coworker, you know? And it was kind of a, a weird, uncomfortable sense that I had. But Richard was totally at ease, because he's family. He was walking around shaking everybody's hand. Totally comfortable because he deserved to be there as family. You know, I, I think we can approach God in this way. My kids never have any reservations about running into my arms on Wednesday. They don't ever feel uncomfortable about it because they know that I'm their, their father. Even if they've gotten in trouble the day before, even that morning, they forget all about it when they see me because they just love to be in their father's presence and in their daddy's arms. We can run to God and hold on to him no matter what you've done or where you've been because we have been fully cleansed as Christians. We've been cleansed within and without. Our baptism is an outward symbol of the inward reality that our hearts have been washed pure and clean by the blood of Christ. We can now worship God intimately because we have a loving relationship with our Father who cares for us. We have no reason, therefore, to, to feel guilty or unworthy. In my counseling times, I, I, I meet so many people who just feel like God could never love them, that they've done too much bad stuff to where God would never usher them into his presence with his arms around them. But that's not what the Bible says. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So after we've run to God, embraced him, held on to him, the second command here is to hold on to our confession. Our confession is the the things that we say we believe. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know, when we baptize someone here at Woodmont, we, we always ask them, what is your confession? And the, the candidate for baptism will say at that time, we have to work with our kids, you know your line, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ is Lord. They confess that Jesus is master, that Jesus is the boss, that he's in charge of all that they are and all that they have and all that they will be in their whole lives, body and soul and spirit. 
When they say that they are confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, it's really a dangerous thing. In the early church, you know, many Christians were killed for confessing Christ as Lord because Caesar, when he took over an area, he demanded two things. You pay taxes, you confess me as Lord. You can keep worshiping whatever God you want to, but you will pay your taxes and you will confess that I'm the boss, that I'm the ultimate authority, that I'm in charge. Christians said, no, you're not. Jesus is. And they were persecuted for that. They were killed for that. We've, we've probably lost some of the gravity that comes from standing in the, in the baptistry and confessing Christ as Lord. But in reality, it's no less perilous. When we say Jesus is Lord today, we are saying that we have died to ourselves. That it's no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. Galatians 2.20. All that we have, all that we are, our families, our jobs, our bodies, they're all considered as loss for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Our lives are not our own, 1 Corinthians 6, but they've been bought at a great price. Therefore, we will glorify God with all that we are. We're betting everything on Jesus. He's our only hope. We believe now that only what's done for Christ really matters. It's, it's the only thing that will ultimately last is what's done for Christ and his kingdom. We're convinced that our hope is true because it's based on the unfailing promise of Almighty God himself. Why then should we not cherish our hope more confidently and confess it more boldly? Christ is faithful. The stories are true. His promises are all yes and amen in Jesus Christ. We hold to that truth boldly. Finally, the last command here is to hold on to each other, to our family, to our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, the Christian life is a team sport. It was never meant to be done on your own individually. You know, our culture has a, a strong tendency towards privacy and autonomy. We don't really know our neighbors like we used to, right? We're all tending to build privacy fences, but that's never been the way of the church. We need each other to encourage each other, to, to spur one another on to doing great things for the kingdom. I remember being in New Orleans a, a year and a half or so after Hurricane Katrina, I think it was 2006, with our, our youth group. And we had been working with a neighborhood association to, to help clear these abandoned lots where the houses that were flooded had been bulldozed and knocked down. And now a year later, the weeds had grown up on these vacant lots and they were generally about as tall as I am and I'm taller than the average person. They were massive. And this organization didn't have a lot of funds, but they had purchased these like scythe, you know, type machete things that we were just supposed to swing. A bunch of 15, 16 year olds out there with sharp blades just swinging away in the middle of this field of weeds. And of course it was 100 degrees. We were there in July and the humidity is oppressive and overwhelming in New Orleans if you've ever been there. And the, the reality was we were losing the battle. The, we were fading much faster than the weeds were. And, and it looked like we were never going to finish. And it was time for, for lunch. And we, we still had half this lot to go. And I didn't know what we were going to do. 
And we had this one girl on our team, I remember, who, who had the spiritual gift of encouragement. And she screamed out. She's a redheaded girl. And she screamed out, do it for Jesus. And with every ounce of energy that she could muster, she just started swinging as hard as she could. And we all said, yeah. We all got behind her. We all started swinging as hard as we could. And before you know it, we had cleared that whole lot. She had spurred us on to good works. She had made us better. Those of you who play team sports know those special players who encourage and make their whole team better by lifting everyone up. We can accomplish much more. Did you see the Alabama basketball game yesterday? Three players. They, they had to play with three players. Their whole bench got ejected. Then they had a player foul out. Then they had a player get hurt. They played a good 10 minutes of basketball, three on five. And you know what? They only lost by five points. It was amazing. It was really probably a, more of a victory than their football game was yesterday. <laughs> We can lift each other up. We can make each other better. We can accomplish more together, infinitely more than we could on our own. We need each other. Do you know people who encourage you like that, who lift you up like that? There are several people in this church that I am eternally grateful for, special people in my life who do not leave me to myself, but they invade my life and they push me towards the Lord's work with renewed intensity day by day. We're better together. But if we don't get together in real, authentic ways, in, in, in a real community where we know each other intimately, then this kind of encouragement will never happen. If we keep one another at arm's length, not wanting to get in anyone's space or invade anyone's autonomy, then we'll, we'll never have the kind of mutual edification that Hebrews is talking about here. This is why we don't give up meeting together. Even when church is messy and not a lot of fun, church work isn't always the Lord's work, right? John Eldridge says that community, living in community is like camping together for a month in the desert without tents. All your stuff is scattered out for everyone to see. Morgan, I was telling her that last night. She said, that makes me nervous. <laughs> it's messy, but it matters. Community matters because this is heading somewhere, right? Our hope is true. What we believe about Jesus Christ, his first advent and his second advent is true. We're going someplace. Christ is coming back to finish the work of redemption that he began 2,000 years ago on our earth. This means that we're living in the last days. These are the end times. What kind of church will Jesus find upon his return? One that's united, that knows each other in purpose and in love? Or one that's just going through the motions, playing church, superficially doing the work of Christ? Are we just not really knowing one another at all and going through this act of church? You know, a sense of urgency is greatly needed in our churches today, lest we grow complacent and stale and not be motivated towards community. We need to get serious about building a healthy church and knowing one another in real community. So to close, let's, let's hold on to our Father. He's, he's waiting with open arms. I know it's a new thing for some of you, but new things are good. Let's embrace the newness of it. Hold on to our Father. Jesus has given us this all-access family pass so that we can see him. 
We can run to his arms and grab him and never let go. We can spend intimate time with him in worship, basking in his presence, just glad to be around him. Then let us hold on to our faith. The promises are true. The stories are all yes and amen. We can believe that. We know there's a deeper reality, a spiritual reality beyond what this world operates based on. Finally, let us hold on to our family. Hold on to our father, to our faith, and to our family. Each other. We need each other if we're going to do this Christian life. Hold on to our father. Hold on to our faith. Hold on to our family. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this word you've given us here this mighty word in the book of Hebrews. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who is infinitely higher and better than anything else this world has to offer. God, forgive us when we've neglected to spend time with you, when we've neglected our backstage pass. Help us to come into your presence this week in worship in ways that are intimate, in ways that change us from the inside out. Let us learn to enjoy basking in your presence. Forgive us when we don't crave to be around you. Give us a deeper passion to know you. We know that there's people in this church that would be more excited about going backstage at a country a concert than coming into your presence. God, we've all been there. Forgive us of misplaced passions. God, we, we pray that you would help us to hold on to our confession. In this world, it's getting harder and harder to say the things that we believe. We sound weirder and weirder to those around us, God. To say we believe in a risen Lord who conquered death is going to be a strange thing. Help us to hold fast to our faith, unwavering. To stand strong on the gospel truth of your word in a culture that desperately needs it. And God, help us to hold on to each other. Forgive us of not trusting one another. Forgive us of just coming and sitting in a pew and then leaving. Help us to get to know one another. Help us to do the messy work of relationships. Help us to, to spend time getting to really do life together, to know one another's struggles, to not be superficial, but to be honest and open about what we're going through, and then to encourage one another, to build each other up, to, to make this place a healthy, vibrant place where we love one another, where we embrace each other in, in spite of all of our, our foibles and our many hiccups, our many habits, hurts, and hang-ups, as our Celebrate Recovery group says, God. Help us learn to, to get in each other's space in order to spur one another on and make each other better. God, we thank you for the ways you're moving in this church. It has been an amazing year. You are changing lives in this building, but more importantly, outside of this building. Help us to do more good for your kingdom in this coming year than we ever could have dreamed or even imagined possible. God, we thank you for the relationships that we do have in this church and the community and for the health that we do have. Help us to build on that going forward so that if Jesus comes back today, that he'll find a people that love each other, a people that love you, and a people that love your word. We pray all these things in your high and your holy name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're here today and you've, you've never come to the Father by the blood of Jesus, and you've never accepted the free pass that he gives you today, 
to come into the Father's presence. I pray that you would make that decision today. All you have to do is say, God, I, I admit that I'm a sinner. I've, I've been separated from you. I've, I've made all kinds of mistakes. And today I, I confess that I believe that you are Lord. You're the boss. You're in charge. I lay my whole life down at your feet. If you've never done that today, never accepted this free gift of access to God that Jesus Christ gives you today, come talk to me about that right now during our hymn of invitation. I'd love to talk with you about what that looks like. If you're doing the Christian life maybe solo, if you don't have a team surrounding you, if you've kind of been on the fence about this whole community thing, but now you're ready to jump in and be a part of what God's doing here at Woodmont, it's messy. It's not always fun. <laughs> Being on a committee is not always fun. Being in leadership roles is not always fun. But it, it's so beautiful to see the people of God love each other in authentic ways that make each other better, that accomplishes more for the kingdom. If you want to be a part of that, I invite you to come forward now and talk about joining the church as a member of Woodmont Baptist. Whatever it is that you need to do before you leave this place, I pray that you would not walk out those doors or these doors, any doors, without first dealing with God and getting right. Let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation.